Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of the Motherkind podcast with me your host Zoe Blasky where each week I chat about all things motherhood and well-being. My mission with this podcast is to help you reconnect to you, to feel happier, more joyful, calmer and that little bit kinder to yourself because I think life as a mum in this hectic modern world is hard enough as it is. I believe becoming the happiest, most alive version of ourselves is the most important and inspiring thing we can do for our children. I am really excited because this week, Sweaty Betty are supporting the podcast and in doing so are helping to ensure that I get to keep putting out this weekly show. When I first started Another Kind, I wrote a list of all the brands that it would be a dream for me to work with, and Sweaty Betty was one of those brands. So it does feel a little bit like a dream come true that they are working with me on the podcast. Because not only do I absolutely love the product, I've worn their leggings for years, and let me tell you, they last incredibly well. I also love what the brand stands for and how female empowerment really is at the core of the brand. You can absolutely tell that they've got an all-female design team. And if you follow me on Instagram, you will know that I've just started very slowly exercising again now that Rose is three months and I've been wearing my Sweaty Betty Zero Gravity Leggings. They are super comfortable and really flattering, which is giving me confidence as I'm slowly getting out there into the world of exercise again. I mean, let's be honest I'm also wearing the leggings a lot when I'm not exercising let's be real and they also look great as I'm on the nursery run or just running around with the girls so I would love you to try Sweaty Betty and you can get 20% off full price product with code MOTHERKIND so that's MOTHERKIND at the checkout for 20% off now on to this week's episode Hi everyone and welcome to this special episode of the Motherkind podcast with me, your host, Zoe Blasky. My word, we are living in unprecedented times of change and unknown and I am sure, like me, for many of you that is bringing up fear, worry, anxiety. My commitment is to use this platform and this podcast and the community that we've grown together to help in any way that I can. So I am working hard in the background to pull resources, workshops, getting some incredible guests on to help us through this time. I really do believe that if we can lean into this time, it can be an opportunity. It's going to be hard, but I think it can be an opportunity. My belief through my own experience is that any big crisis in my life has led me to a new level of understanding about myself and I've grown through it. So I want to help you do the same. So please do let me know on Instagram or email me what it is that you need support with at this time. And I will do everything that I can to support you all as well as myself. Of course, I create this content because I too need to hear everything that my guests say. So my first action is this podcast. I have managed to secure Julia Samuel, MBE, who came on the podcast a few weeks ago. She has a Sunday Times bestselling book out right now about change. So I thought she would be perfect to 
kick off the series of experts talking about the coronavirus. So this episode is all about how to talk to our children. She shares some brilliant tips and ideas and I found her very reassuring and calming with how to talk to our children. She also talks to us about how to stick together when you're forced together for sure in any relationship when you are forced together like we will be if we get asked to self-isolate all of our stuff's going to come up and there's some incredibly helpful ideas that Julia shares about fault lines knowing how you normally respond to stress and with that self-knowledge being able to redress the balance so if you normally go to work or get busy in order to deal with stress those coping tools might not be available to you right now so what else are you going to do to manage your well-being we also talk about how to find some positive and some opportunity in this thinking about hopes and also fears and there's some really great journaling tools that julia gives us So I hope you really enjoy this episode. I just want you all to know that I am incredibly grateful to have you in my community. I'm incredibly grateful that you continue to listen to this podcast and I'm here for you. So please do send me an email, zoe at motherkind.co or find me on Instagram, zoe underscore motherkind. I would love this to be a chance for the motherkind community to come together more than ever and to lead the way in helping others through this really challenging time. So here is the episode. I hope you enjoy it. Julia, welcome back to the podcast. I am so honoured that you have offered to come back at this time to share some of your wisdom and hope and strength. I think we need people like you now more than ever. So thank you so much for giving up your precious time right now. It feels a real pleasure to be connecting to you again. And I mean, I think everyone has wisdom within them. And I think a natural kind of instinct. And I think if I serve any purpose, it's reminding people of what they already know and helping them connect with their good instincts. So I hope this podcast will give people the confidence to know themselves and trust themselves that they can both feel the massive distress of this, but also support themselves through it because it's going to be a long and difficult road by the looks of things. Yeah, I mean, what you've already said, I found helpful personally, you know, that we do have this part of us that know that is calm and can be still. How do we access that when constantly I feel like almost grieving the amount of change and stress and fear that's going on? How do we access that part of ourselves in this totally unprecedented time? I mean, I think grief is the right word. And Grief starts at the point of diagnosis. So the moment you get the bad news that the pitch of your life and yourself that you imagined is no longer your present, all of us experience grief. And in these terms, for most people, it's a living loss. For some, of course, it will be death. But hopefully the majority and the young people listening to your podcasts it will be a living loss. But that brings up all the feelings of grief, which is numbness, fury, fear, not knowing, questioning, and having sort of multicolored video pictures of disaster that they can kind of fast forward in their head. And so the thing to how to access 
yourself. There are multiple ways of how to support yourselves through this. But one of the first things is to recognize that these feelings are normal and healthy, given that we're grieving. We're grieving this living loss of the past that we had and the future that we hold for the next three or four months or maybe longer. And so you talked about some of those feelings. I imagine that there are people out there who might be feeling quite overwhelmed by any number of those feelings. Can you share some guidance on what people could do if they feel overwhelmed by that feeling of numbness or denial or anger or fear? So the first point is, in fact, more or less what you were saying at the beginning, is to recognise that these feelings are normal. You're not doing it wrong or you're not overdoing it, that these feelings are our wired normal response to bad news. And the natural grieving process is you move between loss orientation, where you feel the pain, you emote and you grieve. And so that's when you feel overwhelmed, you cry, you feel stuck. All of those things, you talk to a friend, you do your journal, you express, find ways of expressing what you feel And then you oscillate to a restorative part of yourself, which is having hope for the future, having plans, having a break from the loss, doing things that distract you. And so if you support yourself to oscillate, to move between loss orientation and restoration orientation, you naturally adapt and adjust physiologically to this unwanted and unwelcome event allowing yourself to do both supports you. Does that make sense? Yes. Men tend to be restoration-oriented, so men tend to want to move on to make plans to fix things. Women tend to be loss-oriented, that they emote and grieve and fixate and feel totally preoccupied with the sort of feelings of loss. And you can get one more like a woman and one more like a man, but on the whole, that's what happens. And children, which I know is important for your listeners, very naturally do both if we support them. So they can very naturally be very sad and upset. And it's like jumping in a puddle of sadness. And then they can just as quickly jump out, play with a friend, roar with laughter and be a happy little child. And so with children, we need to support them to be loss-oriented, be sad and then to be normal, happy kids. And what we tend to do is tell our children, don't be sad, it's okay, don't be upset, and distract them from letting them have the full cycle of their distress. Okay, that's so helpful, because something that I want to unpack with you is age appropriateness. So, you know, with a zero to five-year-old, how much would you be telling them about what is going on right now? How much would you be showing them your own feelings our own feelings and then maybe it might be helpful to go up the age groups right up to adult children so the overarching message for all age groups is that children need the same truth as all the adults around them but in age dependent language so naught to five is that there's a bad bug a bad illness we're washing our hands and not going out so much because we don't want to get it, so that you use concrete, truthful language. And also children pick up from half-heard conversations, from other kids, much more than we think, so they know much more than we think. So the way to start 
is to say, have you heard about this virus or COVID? I don't know what you call it in your home. If you call it the coronavirus, my daughter calls it COVID with her children. They call it COVID. What have you heard about COVID? What do you understand? What worries you? What's upsetting you? And truthfully, answer the questions. Because what children don't know, they make up. And what they make up is much more frightening than the truth, however bad the truth is. And let them be upset, let them be scared, but also give them lots of support and love and coping mechanisms and positivity and distraction of doing jolly things. The question of how much do you mask is children learn how to grieve or how to manage their feelings in themselves by observing the parents around them. And your capacity to parent will influence their resilience. So it really is on the parents rather annoyingly in in a difficult way. And I think it's the same with adults. If children see that you can be upset, like you can jump in the puddle, you can jump out of the puddle, you can jump in the puddle, you can jump out of the puddle so that you can be upset and then you get on and cook them dinner and give them a bath and read them a funny story so that they can see that you can be upset and that you can be fine. Whereas if you shut down and put this mask on, they will pick up the shutdowners from you. And that will be much more disturbing than seeing you be able to have mechanisms that allow you to express what you feel and then allow you to get on. That's very helpful. And what about questions like, is grandma going to be okay? Why can't I see granddad? So the truth is we really hope grandma's going to be okay, but we can't see them because they're an age where if they get this covid they'll be more ill than you or me because they're older. You wouldn't say your immune system because they're they're a bit more frail and they get iller quicker. Okay. So with children's fears... It's simple. Keep it simple. That's what I'm hearing and precise language. And I've had quite a few questions from my community about how to talk to children about fear of death. You know, I know in my family, Jesse hasn't experienced that yet. How should we be talking to our children of any age, but if there's anything specific around age groups, it's helpful to know that too, about death. Are you saying hide the fact that people can die from them? Or I'm just wondering how... know that people can die or... Yeah, like I've had a few questions on Instagram and emails saying, you know, my child's petrified of someone dying that they love. How should I talk to them about that? Is it, you know, saying it's going to happen or it might not happen? And if it does, I'm just wondering how someone would handle that question. You need to... First of all, acknowledge, I can see that you feel really upset and frightened that someone that you love is going to die. Ask the child to tell you what their worries are. And then as much as you can, directly answer what those worries are. And then you have to say the truth, which is, you know, we hope that grandpa or whoever it is, is not going to die. Because if we get the bug, we can get better. But some people, very few people, don't get better and they do die. And that's the truth. You can't protect them from that. Mm. Are you feeling uncomfortable with that? Do you think that's too much truth? No, I'm just absorbing it. What would you say? What would you do? What I've done with Jesse is I've said, I haven't actually said the grandparents thing because we see our grandparents quite rarely, really. So it's not come up as, you know, why aren't we seeing them? 
I think with Jessie, what I'm noticing is that she knows what's going on. She's feeling it energetically. And just like you said, you know, we told her that there was a bad cold going around and that meant that life might feel different. We might stay in. We're going to have to wash our hands. But interestingly, she's only four and she had been talking about it with her peers. Yeah. But because I said to her, how are you feeling? What do you know? Is there? Anything? I ask her every night, is there anything on your mind? Anything you want to talk to mummy? She'd ask me about a fly. She said, what's this fly? And I was thinking, what is she talking about? And she had heard, or her little friends had got confused with the word virus and fly buzz. Oh, wow. And she had thought that it was all because there was a fly buzzing around. <laughs> yeah. Check, so, they thinking, check what they've understood. And always when you break bad news, either to an adult actually or a child, before you tell them, check what their understanding is. What do you know? What do you understand? What are your worries? How can I help you? Yes. I think that's it's holding space. And having hope. So I'm not saying, say to your child that, you know, somebody we know is going to die. I'm saying somebody we know may get the bug, may get the flu. We hope that they'll get better. Most people at the moment, as far as we know, is it 99% get better. So the more than the majority of people get better. But some very few people who are older and tend to have other illnesses already don't get better and they die. Yeah, I think what I'm taking from this conversation is I can hear in your language like the clarity and the precision and the kindness and the calmness. And I can imagine how reassuring that is for children of any age. Mm. Do comforting things together. By the way, don't do this just before bedtime. So if they're at school... Either do it when they've come home for school and then they can do their homework and have some tea and, and watch a bit of telly, but don't do it just before bed. I mean, if it comes up, if they ask you in their cosy bit before bed, then obviously you have to tell them, but don't do it just before they meant to go to sleep, ideally. It's because the risk is that they'll ruminate, have nightmares about it. You haven't given them enough time to settle and to have other questions and, yeah. Okay, that's really helpful. And so is there anything else you think that is important for parents at this time? You know, I want to talk to you about self-isolation and what we can do keeping ourselves well around that. But is there anything else on this topic that you think is important for parents to consider or know? I think like with all things, it's this will come under self-isolation. But this model of loss and restoration, this thing of allow yourself to feel things and allow yourself to have fun and do structured stuff as a family and do stuff that completely takes you away from worry. And allowing both is very balancing and very healing. But also on top of that is in times of crisis and sort of chaos, actively choosing to do a pattern of things that are intentionally comforting and reassuring. So when I work with families where somebody has died, maybe a parent, it may be a sibling, it may be a grandparent, they may do a workbook with the child. You know, there's some wonderful books, like You're My Bag Full of Worries. So they may do a piece of work around that where the child shows on the picture how worried they are. They say what their worries are. They do drawings. So they get that out. And then I suggest that they do something really fun, like play some game, go outside and skip or play catch or just do something that is active and distracting then do something cosy, like have tea and have your spaghetti or your whatever you eat for your tea. And then watch a funny, familiar 
cozy TV program that they love, you know, whether it's Dora the Explorer or Mamma Mia if they're older. And this is true for all ages. If you do that pattern of being sad, expressing what you feel, doing something that is energetic and connecting as a family system, doing something intentionally comforting like eating and then watching something that is funny, that's a very good pattern to have on a Saturday or Sunday afternoon or these days it's going to be Monday to Sunday, I think. (laughs) (laughs) So let's talk about self-isolation. You know, we're recording this on the 17th of March, so currently it's not blanket isolation yet. I suspect we might get there. Have you got any insight that you could share with us about the dynamics that might come up and I know in your book you talk about this so brilliantly the dynamics that might get shown to us within our family suddenly everyone being forced together in quite an unusual way you know I've heard from China unbelievably the rates of filing for divorce has tripled since isolation so I'm wondering how can people navigate being in such close proximity with our children and our partners if we're lucky enough to have one in an already intense time. I am really worried about this in the sense that if you think Christmas is the time that most people have intense family time and the divorce rate goes up enormously in January, and that's only sort of five days or ten days. I mean, I think the problem and why it's probably happened in China is that in a family system, like I talked about, that section of families in my book, is that each family will have a family system which both the mother and the father bring the patterns from their childhood into that family system and they create their own ways of behaving, of ways of communicating, of each person having roles and connecting. And that family system, if it's a secure family system, does have open communication, is able to have ruptures and rows but make up afterwards is honest, allows people to be themselves, allows people to be different. And so that's a flexible family system that can take the stress and the burden of being with each other. That doesn't mean they won't have rise. It doesn't mean they won't feel stressed. It doesn't mean they won't find it difficult. But the sort of hidden glue of binding a family together is secure enough that it holds them as a unit. Where there are a lot of pre-existing fault lines, where you have closed communication, not a lot of trust, those fault lines will be intensified and widened by external pressures. Does that explain one side of it? Yes. The things to do, I mean, there are many, many things. I think the mother and father if they live alone or with their other adults in the family, really need to sit down and work out what are their normal ways of coping under pressure? Because often it's busyness and distractedness and going to work. So I think people have to really be open and acknowledge what they find difficult and talk together about ways that they can support themselves and each other given this is such a difficult time. So don't pretend everything is going to be okay, but acknowledge it's going to be more difficult. So I'm someone who gets super busy and I can shut down when I'm very stressed. So I might talk to my husband about that and say, what can we do that will help us? And with us, and I really think it would be a disaster if they make the whole country self-isolate. For us, it would be going out and walking and talking. 
because the moving of the body, me not being eyeballed by him, forcing me to say something, I will then open up. And then as I open up, I discover what I really feel and what I really think. He understands me better and we both feel calmer and vice versa. I think it really helps to have family projects because you need the sense of efficacy and agency. So I think a family puzzle is a really simple one for younger families that you have an ongoing puzzle because this thing of completing something and doing it together and also sitting around or standing around a table doing a jigsaw, you often have conversations like you would in the back of the car, like you say something, you don't have to say anything for ages, and then somebody says something, and then there's the satisfaction, oh, I found the leaf. So I think that can be very calming and therapeutic for a family. Or any kind of enterprise or project like that, it might be you all do some papier-mâché thing or something with your photographs, or you make something, if you have a garden, in the garden together, you know, with stones or flowers, because all of this is invisible and most of it is stress that's in our imagination. Doing concrete things together, making cakes together, making spaghetti bolognese together, all of those things gives you a sense of agency and calms you down and it's collaborative. And that's very, very helpful for when you get the spikes of fear. And on that side of spikes of fear, you get emotional contagion by constantly checking your news feeds and your Instagram feeds and all of that. So if you can bear it just to do it, say, three times a day, that will help lower your nervous energy. So many helpful things in there. What was coming up for me, actually, a lot of fear came up as you talked about, you know, if there's already fault lines, that they're likely to be exposed. But what I love about your book is that it's a collection of stories of people who had tons of fault lines found those fault lines they had been exposed but they have used those as a way to grow and to find more peace and I'm wondering how could we use the next couple of months as a collective and individual opportunity to do some of that inner work is that a silver lining it's well researched there is definitely something called post-traumatic growth which in this sense I don't know that it's trauma but I think, first of all, you have to acknowledge the difficulty. So the unexpected benefits or growth doesn't in any way diminish or reduce the level of the distress and the upset. So I think, first of all, you have to acknowledge this is very frightening. This is very difficult. This is economically you know, extremely worrying and has concrete consequences. You have to allow that and allow yourself to feel that. And If you let the waves of the feelings come through your system, you do naturally heal and you find a way of expressing what you feel you heal. And being thrown into a different external landscape, like not being in the office, gives you an opportunity to expand your internal landscape and discover aspects of yourself that are routines of going to work, getting our Starbucks, being busy, all of that doesn't allow. So there are so many aspects of ourselves that are completely silent within ourselves. And I think this is a real opportunity to do that. But we have to do that with self-compassion. You know, and I think it can be incredibly patronizing to be told, you know, I'm going to make myself a better person from this. I don't think it's quite as black and white as that. But I think inevitably, as my book says, when change happens, we need to adapt and change with the change and that does feel like growth 
but it isn't an easy process and it's messy. Yes, you're right. And it's so easy to make those blanket statements, isn't it? I see them all over Instagram already, that whitewash positivity. And I agree, it's totally unhelpful. I mean, the, the other big thing is that we have to have hope. And hope isn't just an emotion. It's a way of thinking and an attitude. And we need to have a plan A and a plan B. Because it is hope that turns our life around. And if we don't have hope, we have despair. And then we don't do any of the things that might help us get out of the hole. Mm-hmm. What are your hopes right now around this? Oh, my goodness. Well, my first hope is that no one I love dies. I suppose that's the top of my list. My second hope <laughs> isn't a realistic one, is that it's shorter than we fear. So I'm going to go out of London, and I think all my children and grandchildren are going to join us. I hope that we can use the time to be together and be together in a way that we never have before because we've had weeks holidays as a family but we've never kind of all lived together so I hope we'll learn more from each other and build together I mean it is an opportunity to have time with one's family in a way that we have never had and that could be very wonderful but I mean all of my family are worried about money so there will be very real stresses too Yes. Thank you for sharing those hopes. I think that's a nice sort of journaling thing. I'm going to do that tonight, actually. What are my hopes and maybe what are my fears? And just write it down and verbalise it and maybe discuss it with my husband. I think that would be a really nice exercise for us to do, actually. So thank you for that. Hopes and fears are always good. Yes, hopes and fears. I don't do this myself, but I think it can be helpful is look at yourself and Try and name maybe with your partner or your mum or someone close to you, what are my fault lines? What are the aspects of myself that are likely to kind of arise? What's my default mode response? And given that, what are the things that I can do to support myself to rebalance that response? So it's not like you're not going to shut down, but it's if you do shut down, what else can you do to help you connect and feel close to other people so that you don't feel numb and cold and disconnected which then you feel more frightened yeah it's such a good point I've seen very quickly my core stuff is a rescuer so I've I've noticed a lot of my thinking has become preoccupied with how I can help those around me at the expense of looking after myself so it's been very helpful for me to notice that and with non-judgment, I know where it comes from. I have huge compassion for myself as to why I do that but just notice it and as you say, like just readdress the balance. So last night I forced myself to do an hour yoga. Oh, well done. When, Is that a dream on YouTube? Or on yes, your own? on YouTube. When what mm-hmm. I wanted to do was think about how I could help my community or, you know, I wanted to think about how I can help the lady down the road. And that's all well-intentioned, but it's to an extreme with me. I use it to avoid my own feelings. Yeah. So it was helpful for me to know that. And I think that's such a good point you raise. A great idea for people to be doing is what's likely to come up. I just got off a call with a client who her perfectionism is really kicking in. Um, And I know for some people it will be fear and anxiety and for other people it will be control. Have control. Oh, my goodness, it's going to drive them nutty. On that then, if someone, I think you're right, that's a big one. You know, we're being thrown hour by hour it's so unknown isn't it things are changing at a pace if someone's coping tool is control have you got any wisdom you could share with someone whose fault line is control 
So I think let them do kind of mini controls. Like, I mean, I always tidy my drawers or the cupboards or sort of Marie Kondo stuff or make something. So you do something, you know, begin to plant some bulbs in your garden. Do things that gives you a sense of agency and control that you can see the outcome of what you do and that can calm down your panic. Mm. And I think on the other side is to maybe journal and, you know, the Al-Anon, accept the things I cannot change, change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. They could stick that on their fridge. And then when they journal, kind of really acknowledge things and write down the things they do not have control of and then recognize what they can do to support themselves, which they do have agency and control of. And that's a sort of calibration. And also the sort of mindset of the more I can accept the aspects of myself that I find unacceptable all my life, the more likely it is that change will occur. So the more you surrender to what you can't fix, then the more likely it is that you'll enjoy your present. And a big part of that is try not to project too much into the future. So bring your attention to what you're going to do today and plan today and the next few days. And when you see yourself projecting into some disastrous future, literally like a video, bring your attention back to this moment now. Yes, you said that in our first podcast. Keep your skyline short. And I've used that since... It's very helpful. Very helpful. Did I talk in the last podcast about finding a safe place or a calm place in your mind? No. So there's lots of different things that you can do. Maybe this one is too short, but there's one of the things to do is to close your eyes and think of a place as an adult that is a calm place for you, that is a place that has happy memories. And maybe it's a beach, maybe it's the top of a hill, maybe... It's a particular room. And if you close your eyes and you kind of breathe in the place, what you can see, imagine the smell, the sight, the sound, and that this is your safe place. And the more you kind of imagine it and feel the calm in it, be aware of what you feel in your body. And you breathe it in and you do that 7-11 breathing. So you breathe in for 7 and out for 11 as you imagine this calm place, this safe place, happy place, then that can be somewhere in your mind when you can feel yourself escalating into panic, go in your mind to your safe place, do that exercise, and literally two or three minutes, you will feel completely different. That's beautiful practice. Thank you for sharing that. And I'm going to ask the final question now, which is during this time, what is the gift that you would give to all the mothers and parents listening right now? To kind of let themselves slow down in the, in the haste of the panic and really acknowledge and be grateful for what they do have, that they have each other, they have their child, and try as much as they can to kind of feel that love in the present and stay in the moment in the pleasure of being with their children and whoever else is important in their life. And in the end, what matters to us most is the love and connection of others. And that is also our source of power and healing. And in the end, that is what matters most. And if we can hold on to that, then I think we can find a way of surviving these very, very choppy waters. That's beautiful. Thank you. 
So that's it. Thank you for listening to the episode. I hope you really enjoyed it. And if you did, please do leave a review on iTunes. It does make a massive difference to the number of mums that we can reach with this content. If you were listening to that episode, thinking about one of your friends that they might benefit from what we were chatting about, then just tag them in on Instagram. My bio will include the link to the podcast so they can find it really easily from there. People often tell me they're desperate to share it with their friends. So if that's you, then please do. I feel like the guests that we have on the podcast, their wisdom just deserves to be heard far and wide. So help me make that happen. I'd be very grateful. And also, if you want to send me any comments or thoughts about the episode, then please pop over onto Instagram at motherkind underscore Zoe. And also just to let you know about my coaching. So I do work one-on-one with mums on my programme which is a three-month program called Reconnect to You. So if you want to work with me on taking your power back in any area of your life, then please do get in touch. Just drop me an email, zoe at motherkind.co or look on the website, www.motherkind.co. That's it. And I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Take care.